Hello, welcome to episode two of our podcast on vaccines. Um, and we have a very special episode for you today. We're going to be taking on a doctor who's going to give us a little bit more insight into vaccines. And uh, we're very excited to talk with her and her uh, opinions. Here we'll be interviewing Lisa Rambetsy Brown. She is a physician, and we're going to ask her what she thinks are our very common vaccine myths and conspiracies that she hears in the uh, medical field. Here we are. Do you mind just giving a quick introduction to who you are, what you do, and kind of how you got to this point in your life? Okay. Um, My name is Lisa Rambetsy Brown. I'm a family physician. Um, I um, have been practicing I, let's see, I graduated from medical school in 1988 and, grad, and, and finished my residency in 1991. So I've been practicing for many years. Um, my practice consists of uh, babies to very old people. Um, I take care of um, you know, males and females and in everything in between and around. Um, I have... Um, um, you know, been been doing this for, um, for for long enough to have experienced a lot of different kinds of uh, things happening um, with diseases, and we've come a long way for with with a lot of things, including vaccines. So it's it's you know exciting times right now. Yeah, it really is. So thank you. So uh, our first question being, so what are your thoughts on vaccines in general? um, And what do you think about them? I am a great proponent of vaccines. Um, I think vaccines have a very important, um, you know, job to do for us. Um, We, you know, they've been developed over many years. um, And I I think they're uh, an excellent way to allow prevention of various diseases. So you should say you do advocate for people to get them. Absolutely. I pretty much advocate for, I I take care of, um, as a family doc, I take care of children, um, you know, from birth, although in, and people all the way up to it through adulthood to, to death, you know? So, um, at one point, I also did obstetrics, um, low-risk obstetrics in my practice. Uh, so, you know, folks would get vaccines. Women would get vaccines then, too. So, yes, I, I definitely um, am a proponent and recommend advocate for patients to get vaccinated. Awesome. Um, and you would say they are safe. They're considered safe. And, uh, and uh, yeah, they're safe and FDA approved. Right. Vaccines uh, go through a process um, that, you know, requires, the the FDA requires testing mainly for safety, um, but also for, for efficacy. So how, how effective are they? Because a vaccine won't be approved if they're not very effective um, for the most part, but they, if they are effective um, and they have relatively low risks for, um, 
you know, adverse events, then they are considered, you know, good vaccines by the FDA for the most part. Um, so yeah, it, you know, obviously you have to look at each individual patient uh, who's receiving a vaccine as to whether they have any contraindications for vaccines. For instance, you would never give a pregnant woman an MMR vaccine uh, because that could affect her her uh, baby. Um, so you know that's there. So there are various various reasons or things that you have to do to just make sure that it's safe for an individual to get a vaccine. All right. Why do you think people should go out and get vaccinated? Why do I think they should? Depend. Are you talking about any particular vaccine or um, vaccines in general? We'll start with vaccines in general, and then maybe okay. we can dive into the COVID vaccine. So you look at what's going on with um, an individual in terms of you know where they are in their own vaccines. Um, so I, I may have a list of vaccines for a patient that I know that they've received and ones that they haven't received. And you know we can determine if they need a particular vaccine at a particular point in time. Um, you know, children are on a schedule of vaccines. So at you know after, at birth, they actually pretty much after right after birth, they would get a, their first hepatitis B vaccine, and then um, they get a slew of vaccines at two months and a slew more at four months and a bunch of, you know, the same ones again at six months. So they get a lot of vaccines early on. Um, and, you know, I would, I recommend that because I think babies have, you know, low immunity. Um, you know, they got some immunity from their mother, but they, for the, you know, the most part they have, they have a significantly decreased immunity and these vaccines will protect them, um, you know, through their early, early days, but also for the rest of their childhood. Um, you know, there are a lot of um, various uh, diseases that kids, babies can get. And, you know, there was a time when babies, as you probably know, babies died, you know, in their first year, a lot of babies died in their first year. You just have to go to a, to a, a an old cemetery and see the ages of these uh, on the stones, the headstones, and notice that they're they're little babies. Um, so, it, you know, I think vaccines have been really important for um, for children uh, to prevent them from getting diseases that could otherwise kill them or harm them in in various ways. Um, older people, adults who are, you know, thinking about what vaccines they need. Um, they may be traveling, for instance, and so if they're traveling to a country that is endemic for certain diseases, then they may be required or requested to get certain types of vaccines, like yellow fever, and um, you know things that we we're not used to here, but they may have uh, you know en endemic um, exposures there. Um, other reasons that adults. Um, may need a vaccine would be, so for instance, tetanus, just to keep them updated. Um, older adults often need um, or should, should get pneumonia vaccines, um, shing shingles vaccines, things like that. So yeah, so I think you look at the individual, the time they are in their life, what they have received and haven't received. And, you know, I recommend they update themselves, you know, flu vaccine, flu season comes around every year. That's highly recommended. COVID vaccines now, I highly recommend. And, um, you know, those folks 
who are willing to get them, um, you know, we can we can get them for them at this point. While working in the medical field, what are common myths or hesitancies that you may hear? So one, one myth is that vaccines in children can cause autism. And that's truly a myth. Um, there is absolutely no um, evidence that any vaccines cause autism. Um, it came about back, um, I think in the 1970s or 80s that there was a, a, a fellow, a, a researcher from uh, the UK who was investigating um, measles, mumps, rubella and fudged his information. And somebody I think paid him to actually relate that they saw increased rates of autism in children receiving the MMR vaccine. Um, so th that of course became a big, a big deal because a lot of people believed it at first. And then, then it came out that it wasn't true. And it was, it was really very, terrible thing to do because it has set a sort of a, you know, pretense on for people to think that autism comes from vaccines. Um, there's, there's also the thought of the concern about thimerosal, which is a, um, a mercury based preservative. Um, but it's a mercury based preservative that gets out of your system pretty quickly. Um, if you get it injected, it's it's meant to preserve vaccines so that they have a, a longer shelf life. Um, but anyhow, the there was a belief that thimerosal may have been involved with autism or other issues. Um, so there's no proof of that either. Um, thimerosal is safe. That you know they have it in contact lens solution and different things too. So they removed it. Um, the the uh, FDA decided to, to have um, vaccine manufacturers remove it from all, all of the vaccines um, that children would get just to just to keep, you know, keep the peace, so to speak. But again, there was no reason that they had to do that. It was more that it just if they had other preservatives that they could use instead to use it just because a lot of people were afraid of the mercury issue. And again, it's a myth. It's not nothing about the thimerosal that um, is felt to be a problem for for adults or children for that matter. It's really interesting uh, hearing you talk about the uh, not only like Andrew Wakefield and um, yeah. and thimerosal because those are like the two biggest things that have been focused in our class in terms yeah, of. It, yes. it, and those were the things that really got the got people from getting vaccines. You know that those are the things that started it all. I think. And it was really a shame when Andrew Wakefield, um, you know, did all of that. And that, you know, fortunately they caught him within a couple of, I, I don't know if it was months or years, but it was a relatively short time later that they realized it was all a hoax. And, um, but you, you know, it's hard to undo a hoax. It's really hard. It is, it is very hard to undo something that uh, was falsely claimed. So uh, especially when there's profit or money behind it, Oh yeah, yeah. That kind of motive really deters yeah. or really muddies the water for proper procedures and protocols. Uh, so when talking about immunity, do you mind speaking uh, on 
say, natural immunity versus vaccine-induced immunity? So natural immunity um, can occur from many different types of diseases, um, especially diseases that, you know, one and done. You get you get the vac you get the virus um, or the disease, and you get immunity, and it stays with you for a lifetime. Um, some of those viruses include things like chickenpox and uh, also, you know, measles, mumps, rubella. Um, you know, hepatitis A and B, A and B and C for that matter too. Um, there are viruses that um, that do not have long-term immunity, um, and that includes the flu, uh, includes cold viruses such as rhinovirus and um, you know even coronavirus that is a, a cold-based virus, plus coronavirus that causes COVID. That's another virus that doesn't have long-term immunity. So those, you know, those kinds of things, um, there's the, that sort of difference. And so you can get natural immunity from certain viruses and bacteria, mostly viruses, but you can't get it from a lot of others. And so you, that's where the, the rep repetition and the reboostering is needed for the, the ones that don't provide long-term natural immunity. Why, in the grand scheme of things, do vaccines help or benefit populations or communities? That's a good question. So, you know, when, when you think about, oh, it seems like we don't see much polio anymore, um, right? This, this polio has pretty much been, um, you know, gone from, from most of what we, you know, what we've experienced. We don't see it. Um, it's because people have been vaccinated. And so you get a herd immunity where people have enough people have been vaccinated, you get such an, an immunity that the virus stays away for the most part. And people who are unvaccinated um, can, you know, take advantage of that. You got to have a good number of people though, who have herd immunity. So you need like, you know, depending on the virus um, or the bacteria for that matter, um, it may be, you know, 85 to 95% of people vaccinated can allow for you know, better herd immunity. Um, the reason we need herd immunity is because many people who cannot be vaccinated, like little babies, they can't be vaccinated for a lot of different things because their immune systems don't respond to vac certain vaccines. Um, you want to protect them. Um, older folks who might have, um, you know, or children even who might have a cancer or, you know, especially leukemia patients, people who have blood and lymph system cancers uh, may not maintain the previous immunity they had. And so they, they are, you know, potential um, risks for getting these different diseases. So having a lot of people vaccinated can make a difference for the community, you know, as a whole. Um, you know, other th reasons when you have an active um, disease going on like the flu or COVID, um, you want to be, you want to have as many people vaccinated because it will decrease the um, amount of contagion, perhaps, as well as the amount of seriousness of the disease. So sometimes, you know, you'll see people who have been vaccinated, but they receive, they've been vaccinated, but they yet still get, you know, they get exposed and may get the actual disease. For the most part, we see that they're, um, 
their disease state is much less severe than those who are unvaccinated. Um, so that's true of the flu, it's true of COVID, even the pneumonia vaccine. Um, you know, the, the pneumonia vaccine that we give adults, can, you can still get pneumonia from, from pneumococcal uh, pneumonia bacteria, but you will be less, much less likely to get the systemic septic syndrome that happens with pneumococcal pneumonia infection. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming to our podcast on vaccines. Um, we really appreciate uh, you giving your feedback, your information, and your expertise uh, on the matter. Um, it's greatly informative and educational. Thank you for, ha for having me, and um, I wish you good, good luck in your, um, your expose of, of information on vaccines. Thank you again, and we will see you next time for episode three, where we will talk about vaccine conspiracy theories. That is pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to be good.